0: Our reading today is from Proverbs 23. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy, do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Maybe seated. Again, good morning and and welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, It was a fun week with BBS. And uh, if you're a guest with us because of that, we're so glad that you're here with us. Also, happy Father's Day. Um, Certainly as a a church, we often say this around days like this, we want to be a place that celebrates um, and rejoices with those who are celebrating. We also know that Father's Day comes with pain. Uh, for those of you who've lost a dad or maybe have not so great memories of your father or maybe long to be a dad but can't. And so we want to be a place where we can both uh, grieve and mourn um, with those who are doing that, but also to, to celebrate um, and to rejoice. And so uh, t- this morning we are, are stepping into this, this text. We, so if you are new, uh, we've been in this series. Uh, this is the, the eighth and final week of a short series, um, and we are concluding with the topic of gluttony. Huh? It's a good time to come to church, right? Father's Day, gluttony. Um, yeah, um, it'll, make, it'll make a little more sense in a moment. Let me pray for us, uh, and we'll, we'll jump in. God, I'm so grateful that you um, have called us to be your church in this community. God, I'm so grateful looking at so many uh, little kids uh, that were uh, up here um, and so many others that we as a church um, are called to and responsible to pour into, to love, to serve, to care for, and for all those families that that represents. Um, God, we, we pray that you would take whatever work was done uh, in VBS, in the kids' lives, their hearts, as well as in the adults, and would you root them in deeply. Um, God, help us to be a church that loves our community well. And God, as we come to your word, we're, si- we're so thankful that you speak. God, that you have uh, the best way um, forward uh, lined out for us. Help us to believe that and obey it, um, even when it comes to a very difficult um, subject, an unusual subject like food. We love you, Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I can begin by, by telling you I, uh, I have a food problem. Um, I, I, love, I love food. It's probably one of the reasons why I, I love comedian Jim Gaffigan so much. I know I've you know, subjected you to plenty of his uh, clips and bits and um, all kinds of things. I've even mentioned, I think, this book before. This is his most recent book. It's called Food, A Love Story. Um, He's marrying a hot dog uh, on the cover. Uh, I mean, this dude has a problem, right? It is a 352-page love letter to food. It's as as close to, like, a food Bible as you can get. It's kind of awesome, actually. It's a great book. Um, And it it ends, I'm not making this up, like, it it practically ends, like, with a benediction. Like, you know how we, we end our services together with, like, a prayer of blessing? Like, that's how he concludes his book. He basically says, may your coffee be strong, your cheese be sharp, and your guacamole be chunky amen, right? I mean, I, I want to go to that church, right? I love food. And he, he makes me feel just a little bit better about myself. But I, I mean, I, I love it. I daydream about food. I sometimes plan my day or week around food. I exercise just so I can eat more food. I, I eat when I'm, when I'm happy, when I'm tired, when I'm angry, when I'm confused, when I'm lonely, when I'm bored. I eat because it feels good. And sometimes, occasionally, I even eat when I'm hungry, right? Yeah, I mean, you know you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and here's the thing, like, just even step back for a moment. Like, all humor aside, like, how many food-related social media posts have you seen in the last couple weeks, right? Think about all, all the, the websites devoted to this subject, the, the magazines, the, the TV shows. I mean, I'm not trying to be crass here, but let's call it what it is, right? It's food porn, isn't it? Like, what's wrong with us as a society? We're okay just looking at pictures of food, right? And we could get even more serious. We could talk about obesity and heart disease and type 2 diabetes. We could talk about alcoholism. We could talk about about eating disorders and our obsession with, with body image. Old diets, new diets, fad diets, I mean, well, a couple of things I think are, are clear coming right out of the gate with this subject. First of all, I think everyone in this room, we all know we have a problem culturally with food, right? Like we know it, like we, there's something wrong with us and how we approach food as a culture. But there, there's a second thing that I think is also true that I'm, I think we miss. While every one of us here would probably say, yeah, there's probably some, some things wrong with the way we approach food culturally we almost never equate that problem with sin. At least not a deadly one, right? I mean, I'll overeat and I'll worry about the scale the next day, right? But I almost never think about what it's doing to my soul. Or or we'll worry about heart disease. Um, And and rightly so, but we forget that the real disease is in a different kind of heart, right? In the very core of, of who we are. And we forget sometimes that even food can destroy us. Okay, so Nathan, are you, are you saying that if I eat too much ice cream, I might go to hell? Mmm, ice cream. <laughs> Sorry, got sidetracked for a second. Um, just think about it, right? Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Um, but what I am saying is that what condemns us is asking anything but Jesus to save us, to make us whole, to fill us asking anything but, but Christ to, to, to satisfy us, to, to tell us that our lives are, are, are worth living. I mean, that is the very definition of sin. And we can do that with any, any one of these vices, can't we? Even food. But we got to back up a little bit for a second, especially for those of you who are guests, because this is like, why, what, you know, you've probably never gone to a church talking about food. I mean, it, it, it seems like an unusual, like, what is wrong with this church, right, where I just sent my kids to PBS? Um <laughs> Don't get me started. Um, <laughs> But let me, let me set a little context here. As I mentioned right at the start, we're in this series uh, on the, the seven deadly sins. This is the last week of it. So you can be thankful for the ones you've already missed, I guess, um, if you are new. Um, but we've been talking about these vices and virtues. This list of seven deadly sins has been around for 1,500 years in Christian history. And so we've talked about anger and, and lust and, and greed and, you know, vainglory, envy, all the, these kinds of things. And we've said throughout the series, like, these aren't the worst things that you can do. But they're the habits that form us they're the habits of the heart that slowly over time choice after choice after choice begin to shape us we're always being formed you and i like we're never staying the same person we're always changing and and developing whether you're going in the wrong way or the right way right we're always being shaped but gluttony just kind of seems out of place doesn't it like is it really that big of a deal how did it make it on this list? Well, you see, gluttony isn't just just the love of food or eating too much. Gluttony is the endless pursuit of pleasure above everything else. It's a life dedicated to the quest for superficial satisfaction. You know, short-term gains rather than long-term living and that, that's why, I even just keep this in mind, like this is not just the vice of the overweight, nor does it mean, like, if you're skinny, that you're off the hook. No, this vice is for anyone who asks food to make them feel okay. It, it's for anyone who's tempted to believe that the perfect cheeseburger or the perfect health food diet just might give me the life I'm longing for. And if you take just one thing with you this morning, I hope it's this. We'll say a lot. We'll try to unpack this well, hopefully. Um, But if you take just one thing, I hope it's this. Our hunger can never be satisfied with food. Like, that's what we have to hold on. Our hunger, the things that you're looking for, longing for, that you're asking food to do, it can never be satisfied with food. And so we're going to organize our thoughts around three ideas. I like outlines, so I'm going to tell you my outline here. Um, First, food is more than fuel. Second, food can never fill you. And third, food can be redeemed. So that's kind of our our path for this morning. Uh, But if you expect food to satisfy you, you will always be hungry. Okay, first of all, uh, food is more than fuel. It's more than just a neutral commodity that gives our bodies the energy it needs to survive. And we know that right? That's why we love it so much, and we pursue it, and, and it, it gives us so many things more than just fuel. We know that it's more than just fuel, even, even biblically. Like, the Bible talks a ton about food, uh, mostly, almost exclusively, in really, really positive ways. I mean, even think about the garden, like Genesis chapter 2, right? It says very clearly that God planted this, this garden, right? And he put a tree there that's, that was good both for looking at as well as good for food. I mean, food was God's idea, and food is a, a tremendous gift. Even think about that. When God is creating humans, he could have made us in a variety of ways, right? He could have made us without a need to eat. It could be like plants, right? We get our, you know, you know chlorophyll and all that, the whole process and the sun. I mean, he, or he could have made food boring, tasteless. He could have made us without taste buds or olfactories, but he didn't. Instead, he made it awesome, right? I mean, food is incredible. I mean, even I mean, just like, even just pause for a second and think not only did he make the, like, the raw ingredients like the individual items, but he gave us as humans the creativity and the ingenuity to put it together and, and you know, try everything. It's like, it's magical, isn't it? Right? Okay. I, like I said, I have a little bit, I love food, right? And God, it was God's idea. He made it and he made us this way. It's, it's pretty impressive. And it doesn't stop there biblically, right? You could look at all the Old Testament feasts, commands that we feast and celebrate. Uh, we, could, we could talk about how uh, historically and thir- certainly throughout, throughout Scripture, uh, the ways that, that food is, is used historically and, and biblically as a bridge towards relationships, community, uh, hospitality, family gatherings, connections with, with outsiders. Uh, we, could, we could talk about Jesus' first miracle. Do you know what it was? He made wine. For a party that already ran out of all the wine they drank, right? I mean, that, that, that's his debut as Messiah. Or we could talk about the fact that Jesus later on in his life takes something as earthy as bread and wine and says that this is the dominant symbol for the most important event in all of human history, his, his death and resurrection. We could even look to the future, right? Right? There, we are promised as God's people another feast, the, the wedding supper of the Lamb, when we will delight and, and rejoice and celebrate. We will have been made whole, right? And we will feast in the presence of God, our Savior. I mean, food is good. It's, it's more than just fuel, food and drink. They're sacramental even, worshipful, spiritual. I mean, think, like so many, so many religions are anti-pleasure. Don't touch, stay away, you know, don't enjoy anything not ours. I mean, our founder, Jesus himself, was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. I can't tell you, that's kind of the guy I want to follow, right? I mean, think about that. So why did God make it like this, us like this, requiring food and food so good? Like, what do you think? I try, to, I try to think through, I think there's three reasons, I can, there's probably a lot that could be said, but I think three just really quick things as we begin of why I think food and, and we humans are, are, are created like we are. First of all, I think God made it to force daily dependence on him. And we forget that because we have so much, right? We live in a culture of abundance, but we pray for daily bread. The fact that you and I, we need every day to eat, right? To continue to, to sustain and stay alive, it reminds us that we're, we're limited, we're, we're creatures, we're finite, we're dependent on someone else. Second, I'm convinced he made it for community. I mean, we know what sharing a meal does with people, doesn't it? I mean, there is no substitute for breaking bread together and building a relationship. Like, it's, it's incredible what it does. And third, ultimately, I think he made it so good, just as he made so many things in our world so good, to give us a glimpse of how beautiful and good and delightful and satisfying he is. It's all meant to point to him as the glorious giver of glorious things. But gluttony chucks all that away and and makes food an end in itself. I mean, food is a means to dependence, it's a means to community, it's a means to worshiping God, even. And it is a beautiful, delicious means, but it is a lousy end and gluttony tries to make food the end. That's why those words of the Proverbs, if you were listening, as them, they were really kind of intense, weren't they? Fairly severe. Let me read some of them again. So the Proverbs is in the Old Testament. It says in Proverbs 23, I'll begin with verse 1, the writer says, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you can't control your appetite basically is what he's saying, right? Do not desire delicacies, for they are deceptive food. And then skip down to verse 8. He says, you will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Verse 20 then, at the end of this chapter, towards the end, he says, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. There's a lot that the the writer is talking about in in those verses there. But at the very least, like you cannot miss that if we cannot control our desire for food and drink, it can enslave us and destroy us, and not just physically, but even our whole life, our very, our very being, which I know, again, sounds extreme, so what, what exactly is gluttony? Maybe we should, we should pause there for a second, right? Because it's not just overeating, that's what we often think, just eating too much, right? It's not just overeating. Uh, last week at dinner, uh, or two weeks ago, we, I, we we're trying to explain it to the kids. We've done that with each of these vices along the way. You know, at some dinner point conversation of saying this is what the vice is. And especially fun last week when we talked about lust. Um, really good <laughs> conversations. Um, but we talked talk about gluttony. Um, with them. We want them to understand. And they'd probably never even heard the word gluttony before. And so we tried to make it as simple as, as we could. And basically we said, gluttony, it's just loving food too much. It's not, not a matter of enjoying it, not a matter of even loving it, but loving it too much. It's asking it to do too much for you. Satisfy me. Make me happy. And it's, it's not wrong to enjoy food. It's when our obsession grows and we worship the food instead of the one who gave it to us. And Upon explaining this to our kids, um, our daughter Eden, she sat back in her chair, kind of real thoughtful-like, and she just said, oh, that's our family's vice. (laughs) She's eight. Like, that hurts. (laughs) But she knows what we love. And if you don't know what you love, just ask an eight-year-old, right? The people around you know. They see it. Rebecca DeYoung, she defines gluttony like this. She says, the glutton eats for himself and his mission is to gratify his own appetites. His mission, like his goal in life, is pleasure first and he orders the rest of his life around that goal. His God is his belly and he serves it faithfully. It's the story of Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament. It's like a strange story back in Genesis, like these twin brothers, okay, and there's this rivalry between them. And basically Esau, he's the, he's the oldest, so he's the, he's the heir. He's, that's a big deal in their, in their culture. But he comes back and he, he's hungry back to the house. And he, he literally trades his birthright, which culturally, it's everything. It's his identity. It's, it's all that he has. It's his. I mean, it is, like he's trading himself, his soul, for a bowl of lentil stew. First of all, I'm like, dude, something other than lentil stew, right? Um, but like what's, what's happening there is, and this is gluttony, it's, it's this, the immediate satisfaction trumps what you know you want in the future. Like that, that moment of, of just just satisfy me now, fill me now, make me happy now, like that matters more than anything you know you're going to want later, even though our hunger can never be satisfied with food. Which leads to the second thing, food is more than fuel, and yet food can never fill you food is good, drink is good, but it is not God. The real danger with gluttony, speaking from personal experience, is that we begin asking food and alcohol to do what only God can do. Food, just tell me it's going to be okay. Tuck me in at night. Help me forget or at least ignore my problems, my inadequacies, my shame, my fears. Food, would you save my wounded soul? I know, like, none of us are actually going to pray to food. We're not going to bow down to ask, Jesus, ask food to save us, come into our heart, right? <laughs> we're not, not going to do that, and yet... But when's the last time you've turned to food or drink for comfort? When's, this, when's the last time you've asked it to keep you company when you're bored or lonely? to calm you when you're anxious or afraid or ashamed. Just like Adam and Eve, right? I mean, that's the original sin, like taking this fruit that was not theirs. We run to these things to satisfy us. Frederick Buechner writes, he says, a glutton is one who raids the icebox for a cure for spiritual malnutrition let me read that again. A glutton is one who raids the icebox for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. It's somebody who goes to the fridge trying to feed their soul. It just doesn't work. There's no food in there that can satisfy it. You see, ultimately, gluttony ignores Jesus' words when, when Jesus was tempted by food. I don't know if you know that about Jesus. He was tempted, okay? He cut him a little slack. He'd been fasting for 40 days, but he, he knows the temptation For food. And in that moment, what does Jesus say? Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We cannot live on bread alone, but the glutton tries. The glutton would prefer it that way. And the glutton turns to food and drink instead of to Christ. Similarly, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, he says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's strong language. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So before we move on, maybe just a little bit of self-diagnosis here because there's a fine line. I mean, to, like, do I really struggle with this? Like, do I just enjoy food? Like, or am I asking food to, to do too much? I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a balance there. And So what is how do we figure that out? Because I mean, gluttony takes different forms. You can eat very little and be a glutton. You can be healthy, have the perfect body, only shop organic or whatever diet happens to be, you know, whatever, hip at the moment, and still be a glutton, right? It's not about how much you eat. It's about what you try to get out of it. It's not about how much, but what you try to get out of it. So DeYoung, again, she's been so helpful in, for me in this, this series of these, on these vices. She points out five forms of gluttony. Again, this hopefully this help maybe do a little self-diagnosis, and she uses the acronym FRESH. So like, don't eat fresh. That's kind of the thing. You know, you get it. And none of these are wrong in themselves, right? There's a place, and yet when they become an obsession, when they become a driving force in our lives. So it's eating fastidiously, ravenously, excessively, sumptuously, and hastily. Let me kind of explain those quickly. Fastidiously, uh, that's the one that caught me off guard the most. Never saw this one coming. Uh, This is the ultra picky or snooty eater. They may not eat a lot. In fact, they may eat very, very little, but it always has to be perfect. Like cooked a certain way. Uh, grown a certain way, only you know, a certain number or kind of, of ingredients, um, a very narrow list. Or, or this, this person might have the attitude, if I just eat right, then I can, I can live forever, right? If I just find the right healthy diet, then I'll never have these other physical problems. Of course, nothing wrong with being a little picky. I don't understand pickiness, but I, I mean, I get that, right? Nothing wrong with that. Or being healthy, certainly, right? Try Be healthy, but watch it. Um, don't forget to be thankful for daily bread, even if it's not what you want or like. The fact that God continues to sustain you with food. Sometimes you just have to eat what's given to you. Ravenously. Eating without regard for anyone else. Like you want the biggest portion. You don't care who gets less um, and just stay out of your way at a buffet, right? Um, excessively, that's what we think of most of, right? Um, it's just eating too much, too much of the time. Uh, sumptuously, this one's a little bit unique too. I hadn't, hadn't thought about this one before. Um, but this is like, you may not overeat necessarily, but you work you work really hard to eat only the best, like the most satisfying parts. And so you're, you're sort of more like obsessed with the feeling of full, right? It's less about the food and the taste. It's, it's afterwards, you want to be able to like, you know, loosen your belt a little bit, unbutton your pants or whatever, I don't know. Um, and then hastily, you know, just hand me a shovel and get it over with, right? <laughs> but again, right, remember, our hunger can never be satisfied with food. Enjoy it, thank God for it, but don't ask it to fill you. Don't ask it to do what only Jesus can do. So yes, food is good, and yes, we have a problem, but thank God food can be redeemed. Food can be redeemed. And throughout this series, we've looked at a corresponding virtue, right? Often a very, like, old-fashioned word, right, of... of, uh, you know, some way of counterbalancing this new habits that form us. And the one that we are going with, with this week is temperance, which is just, it's kind of an old archaic way of saying self-control, moderation, right? And there are, three, there are three practical ways, I think, for us to learn temperance, to put food back in its place. Still enjoying it, but enjoying it in the right order. So let me mention these three, three things. Hopefully this will be practical for you. Um, first of all, Uh, Pursue contentment with daily bread. Like, it's just got to begin there of just being thankful that God has kept you alive another day through sustaining you with with food. Um, With less, even. Learn to say no. I mean, think about it. You and I almost never deny ourselves any pleasure, ever. Like, if we want something and it feels good, we go and we get it and we do it. But if... If we never deny ourselves, we'll never be content either. Saying no once in a while helps us enjoy what we do have. It it reminds us of our dependence on God for our sustenance, and it increases our gratitude towards Him. Saying no also reveals what you've been asking food to do for you. Like if you say, like, I'm not going to have dessert for a month, um, or alcohol for a month, or snacks, or whatever, you know, you know your, you know your issue. Um, like, see who you become in that month, like, by day three. You'll find very quickly, like, what you've been asking these things to do for you, to satisfy you, to fill you. It reveals what we've been, we've been taking to food instead of taking to Christ. One of the old disciplines in the fight against gluttony, and really against many sins, uh, is Fasting. I don't know if you've ever done that before, saying no to food to depend on Christ, to see what's really going on in your heart. Uh, frankly, fasting, fasting is one of the best ways to learn self-control for anything, really. Like if you struggle with any any area of, of overindulgence. I mean, because if you can think of like if you could say no to food for a day, like what food that you actually need to live, like if you can do that, what appetite can't you say no to? Like, where can you not be um, learning self-control? And over time, through fasting, you learn to put your appetites in their place. Say, I don't, it doesn't control me. It's not in charge of me. And so here's here's the next step. If anybody wants to join me tomorrow, I'm going to fast. Um, this isn't me patting myself on the back because I'm an awesome, this is me saying I have a problem, right? And I think fasting is part of the cure. And so if you want to join, maybe, maybe it's not tomorrow, maybe it's later this week, um, but jump in with me. Um, I'd love to hear your experience. We can, you know, maybe commiserate a tiny bit together because um, it's hard. But, but and if, if you're new to, let me even clarify, like for me tomorrow, what I'm going to do and there's all different ways that people fast. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not eat breakfast or lunch and no snacking, right? But I want to have dinner with my family because I think that's also an important part of food. Like a regular dinner, like not a, you know, not like making up for the previous two meals kind of dinner. <laughs> um, just to be clear. It's not you just eat once in the day. That doesn't, no. Um, I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to do uh, tomorrow. And, and every time, if you join me in that, every time we feel hungry uh, or agitated or tired, because you'll feel all of those, right? It's hard to not eat. Our body gets cranky quickly. Um, but every time you feel that, just stop and let's thank God for being our satisfaction. Let's thank him for being our strength, our ultimate sustenance, for being a better savior than food. And then when you break your fast, even the vegetables taste good, right? I mean, we'll, we'll be content with simple sustenance, I mean, not just after one day, but like if this becomes, like if you have a problem with this to say, no, I'm going to do this on a a semi-regular basis, like over time, you'll see even the simplicity with, with joy and gratitude. We'll learn temperance and thankfulness. We'll actually know personally the words, I don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of our God, on Jesus himself. So that's the first thing. Second, though, it's not just about saying no. It'd be really easy in a subject like this to stop there. It's just, let's say no no more because we we have a problem. Um, But it's also about saying yes rightly, I'm convinced. Uh, And the second thing, delight in community and celebration. Enjoy food and drink. Feast sometimes. But feasting is always about something else. It's not about the food, right? I mean, it's never meant to be just about the the things that we we put inside us. Celebrate the big events and vacations and milestones and, and let them serve as a means to praising God and being grateful for Him. I mean, the easiest example of this, I think, where we've kind of blown it, like it's Thanksgiving, right? I mean, we gluttons have like just kind of, we've kind of trashed it a little bit. We've just called, we call it Turkey Day, right? I mean, it's all about this gorge fest. It's, it's, it has become an event for food. And there's nothing wrong with the feast, but like, what is it really supposed to be about? It's supposed to serve a greater end than itself of being thankful and and gathering together with friends and family or or outsiders, like people in need to to be able to eat and celebrate together. It's never just about the food. It's a subtle difference, but it's an important one. I think it can be true at any celebration. And you know, even, even regular meals ought to be a kind of liturgy, a sort of worship service daily in our homes. I know that probably sounds really, really weird uh, to some of you. Um, But eating together as a family and with friends ought to be a kind of sacrament. Like a a mini church service. I mean, probably more interesting, right? Um, At least for some of you. But like a means of grace and refreshment. Eating together. Parents, there are are countless studies that show the best, longest lasting impact you're going to have on your kids is not shuttling them off from activity to activity. Nothing wrong with activities. My kids are in activities, right? But they're going to forget most of them. What they will not forget is the regular liturgy of daily meals together, praying together, investing in each other, laughing, enjoying God's provision, um, feeling the safety and consistency of a relationship, and not just families. Food is about hospitality, loving our, our friends and neighbors and, and outsiders, Use food and drink as the relational glue it was created to be to bring us closer together as people, not push us further away. The saddest picture really is the glutton alone, right? And I'm, saying, I'm not saying it's okay to be a glutton at a party, right? Um, but reframe the delight around the people rather than the food. Finally then, if you want to fight gluttony, if you want to stop asking food to do what only Jesus can do, Um, then always bring Christ to the table. Let him be the guest at every meal. It's it's harder to exploit his gifts when you know that he's there with you, that he's the one who's provided them for you, who's made them as incredible as they are. And thank him. Praise him for the gifts that he gives. Pray before every meal. I know. Sounds so old-fashioned, doesn't it, churchy? Probably just expected me to say that or whatever. I don't know. But listen... (laughs) I have all kinds of bad habits in my life around food. Reasons and places and ways in which I eat and indulge. I need good habits as well to, to overcome those bad ones, to reshape me. And even just the simple act of regularly saying, God, thank you for this food. Thank you for giving me another day of life because of the way that you sustain me and provide for all of my needs above and beyond. And thank you that you made it so good, right? And help help me remember that the reason it is so good is because you are so good. Because every meal you eat is an answer to prayer. Do you know that? Like we pray for daily bread, don't we? Jesus commands that we pray for daily bread, and every meal is a reminder that he's been faithful to you. And every delicious bite is a reminder that he is the one who promises to satisfy. Always bring Christ to the table. And of course, he invites us to his. Our hunger can never be satisfied with food, and yet, strangely, like this, this old thing we Christians have been doing for 2,000 years with a tiny little piece of bread and a little bit of juice or wine, that is sustaining. And all of the richness and the, the symbolic nature that it is, it, this remember that Christ's body remembers that Christ's body has been broken, his blood poured out for us. That's where we find our satisfaction. Food is good but it cannot die for your sins. It will not make you whole. It cannot give you everything that you've been longing for, and whatever food promises you, however it makes you feel or drink, he promises you even more and better. And In this meal, we remember that he is, he is the one we feast on, the bread of life. In this meal, we come with celebration. I mean, this is a Party. like people this this meal is a reminder that death loses that sin will be vanquished and that we we gather in in celebration together, and in community it's why as a church we gather in groups of four or five around this table because it's it's meant to shape us into these relationships together and it's here that we taste jesus his eternal feast i mean you think food is good now just imagine what it will be like when death and sin are nothing more than vague and distant memories. No more fear, no, no, more, no more doubt or, or sin holding on to us. Our taste buds, even, will, will have been made new, and we will feast together in the presence of God our Savior. Jesus will be there with us. I mean, just imagine what that'll be like. For hear these words of the prophet. Isaiah writes, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Our hunger can never be satisfied with food, but there is one who longs to satisfy. Will we go to him? Let me pray together. Lord Jesus, as we come to this table, I pray that you would meet with us. God, I pray that in all the mystery that it is, you would satisfy us, the very deepest places of our hearts, our lives, our longings, that we would see in something as simple as bread and juice, that we would see That this is your solution to all of our our problems, all of our fears, and that we would find our rest in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Amen. It's good to be with you all this morning. Um, This is just a a good reminder that our God is a a giver of good gifts, and food is one of those good gifts. Amen. You know, it's a good gift. Uh, But the problem we find ourselves getting into is when we start to delight in the gift over the giver. And that is where we, we find troubles in, our, in ourselves, in our lives, in our relationships. And yes, we should delight in God's gifts, but they should point us to the giver. And when we start to delight in the gift more than the giver, we, we not only rob God of glory, but we rob ourselves of joy. Because you and I were designed with, with divine taste buds, so to speak. We were created with those because our longing is for God. And that is why that food can never hunger, can never satisfy the hunger and longing in our hearts. And so as we understand, as we think about that, uh, I want to share this this word from, from the Gospel of John. But before I do, I just wanted to again say thank you for being here and worshiping with us. If you're new, we'd love to meet you and greet you. But our benediction, our good word for the road comes from the words of Christ Jesus himself from the Gospel of John. So hear these words. Brothers and sisters, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus then said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.